0: Welcome to this week's edition of The Green Majority. I'm your host, of course, Darren Kester. just reminding you that if you agree with us that a very important component, if any opposition to the abuse of our natural world, and by extension us, is to have an informed public, please consider becoming a member. You can do that at greenmajority.ca and click on the How You Can Help button, or just go straight to patron, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash greenmajority and become a member for as little as a dollar a month. Please enjoy the show. And welcome. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, possibly one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio radio partners, uh, international radio partners now as well, uh, and as well Rabble.ca, who is uh, who's recently joined our our team of affiliates. Uh, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of news today, actually a whole bunch of stuff, and we're kind of kind of shotgun. Uh, The first section, because there's a lot of headlines, and we want to sort of weave a narrative of that. So, Brenna Owen and MA Ma are going to join us in just a minute and run through some of this week's top headlines. Stefan and I have prepared, a, uh, or rather, I've prepared, and Stefan's going to play pundit as I uh, read out some news in the second section. We're going to talk a little bit about the relationship between major corporations and centers of power. So what is the relationship between major corporations and governments? World round, we'll give some American examples, we'll give some Canadian examples. What's important is the relationship. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Some relationship talk on the show today, Stefan. Excellent. Uh, And then in the final section, I have a a wonderful interview uh, for you as well. We've lined up uh fiona rayer who is uh, one of the filmmakers behind the film fractured land that's going to be playing this year at the water docks film festival uh i'll give some more information about uh, the film as well later uh when we talk to fiona but essentially this is about uh, a first nations canadian uh named uh, celeb ban uh he's a uh denny i believe i'm pronouncing that correct yeah caleb Yes, Caleb, Caleb. yes, Uh, who is a uh, a First Nations person who, uh, in an an attempt to defend his land and and finding that uh, what he was trying was not uh, working to protect the health and safety of of himself and others in his community, uh, went on to get a law degree and is now uh, a very uh, prominent sort of frontline activist. The film is about him and the conflict in his community uh, because not all of his community members agree. Uh, about these issues so it's a fascinating film we're going to learn more about it uh, from fiona later in the program as well and we'll let you know if you're in the toronto area where you'll be able to go and see it live at the water Docs film festival uh, and then where you'll be able to find it later as well as i'm sure it will be uh, found elsewhere Uh, but without further ado i'm going to just uh, pass it over now to mma and brian owen who are going to tell us a little bit about this week's top news take it away
1: Thanks, Darren. We're going to start off the news with a follow-up story, actually, that we highlighted last week. So you'll probably recall that there was a lot of fanfare around the state visit by Justin Trudeau to the U.S., and he was hosted by the the Obamas. And one of the major outcomes of that visit was actually a U.S.-Canada joint statement on climate energy and arctic leadership. So this week the full text of the statement has been released and as we highlighted last week one of the most significant things in the statement is this commitment to reducing methane. So actually setting a target around methane's emissions of reducing them by 40 to 45% below 2012 levels by 2025. And there's there is a full recognition in the statement that these are coming from the oil and gas sector and that that needs to be addressed. There's also been an acknowledgement as well around agricultural uh, emissions. So, Brenna, what do you make of the inclusion, uh, explicit explicit inclusion of these sectors in this statement? Do you see that as a, a step forward from where we were before?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think anything that's a hard commitment is obviously great. Um, methane is really significant. Immediately, as soon as I saw the head, the headline, Trudeau vows to clamp down on methane emissions, though, I didn't think about the oil and gas industry. I thought about the vast amounts of methane that are being released into the atmosphere as Arctic permafrost melts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we're going to stop that methane release, we're going to need to get more serious about cutting uh, emissions f- that aren't just methane from the oil and gas industry. And it also kind of reminded me of, to be honest in a way maybe this is just my it's probably my cynicism having been to the last three cop agreements but like how the harper government um took like a sector by sector approach and then within the oil and gas sector you know we had harper saying it would be crazy to regulate emissions but then he would pick out like very specific little things to regulate and like really boost those in the media so yes the the federal government will impose methane emissions from the oil and gas industry specifically like that's great but you know we're also talking about pipelines we're talking about the recognition of free fire informed consent so um, you know I think it's good to have a hard commitment but I would like to see more
1: <laughs> yes and and, and- It's interesting because you said you didn't immediately make that link. So fracking does generate a lot of methane emissions and Canada and the U.S. are in the top five emitters um, from the, I believe, from the oil and gas sector, the U.S. being number two and Canada being number four. So. I feel like at least this sort of brings this out into the light in terms of acknowledging the role of both countries in in generating those emissions. Um, the other parts I believe that are significant of of the statement. So there's there's a part about you know collective contributions to cleaner energy and 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 you know generating that as part of our shared grid with the U.S. Um, but something I want to highlight because it, it links very much to the other articles that we're going to talk about and are posted on on the Green Majority website is the the inclusion of the arctic and arctic con, con sorry arctic conservation in this part of the the statement so you've made the link to methane emissions being very much a threat to the arctic um and the Arctic obviously being very key in in global temperature. So we're going to unpack that a little bit, but what I'd like to just draw our attention to for the moment is that they have acknowledged that Arctic biodiversity, um, conserving that and taking measures really to look at industry around the Arctic and some regulation of that and building a sustainable Arctic economy, whilst also acknowledging the role of indigenous science and traditional knowledge need to be all part of this picture i mean yeah like <laughs> i think that we talk a
2: lot about biodiversity in the arctic and like that's great you know the polar bear has been like lauded the kind of symbol of <laughs> arctic conservation i think that's wonderful to preserve like sea life and and all animals in the arctic because they're uh critical to the way of life and to food security for indigenous communities inuit communities so like i would just like to see more language around sovereignty for inuit communities and the fact that permafrost melt means infrastructure is literally crumbling in the arctic like it's not just about preserving this biosphere it's about people's actual lives like we've all heard about food prices in the north uh and one of the reasons is because sea ice melts it means people can't hunt seals anymore and that's like one of the staple foods of inuit communities so yeah i I, um i was happy to see as well that there's in in the guardian there's going to be an arctic research vessel spending an entire year studying sea ice decline i think that's Wonderful because it'll contribute to the body of science that is, frankly, we already have. Um, but I think it's it's great, um, and hopefully, you know, this might go a little bit further to people actually getting on board and serious about cutting emissions because that's where we see temperature rise at at first. Like it's in the Arctic and in the Antarctic. Like it's a it's a global
3: thermometer. So yeah, um, I just want to jump in for half a second. Uh, Okay, I'm stealing Darren's mic. Huzzah. Um, <laughs> just because uh, specifically on the Arctic, uh, the specific thing about that is it's at least nice to see a change in understanding uh, between uh, how Harper understood Arctic security mm-hmm. uh, and sort of that shift back. Because a, 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 one of the most impactful uh, conversations I was I was a part of uh, a couple years ago was this lecture given about the differences. So a, a researcher here at the University of Toronto had done research on how... Uh, how arctic communities saw what they understood as arctic security and how uh and how Har- and how harper decided arctic security and harper was sort of very much uh, arctic security harper was we need to actually like basically militarize the arctic to, to stake out our claim uh whereas on the flip side you know arctic you know, people in the community were like no i i'm like i see the ice receding every summer i i, I need this land uh, and so it's at least it's at least positive for me to see that shift back towards maybe actually interacting with uh, Artity as if it was that kind of. Yeah, in the same, at least the government maybe is now aligning itself with how the communities see Arctic security, and at least a little more. But right? you know, but there's still obviously a long way to go. Uh, you know, we don't have a real climate target yet, but it's at least it's it's. Uh, I'm glad that we're our conversation about Arctic things, but not the other way.
2: Yeah, I mean, Harper was definitely kind of um, using the fact that people live in the Arctic as a means to state claim. So um, I think it's kind of emblematic of our Canadian identity that most, like the vast majority of Canadians live so close to the American border, but we pride pride ourselves on being true north, strong and free, and (laughs) we the north. So that's kind of one of the great ironies, right?
1: Yeah, and we really need to acknowledge that this is an issue that's very multidimensional. So we need to look at the impact of climate change on Arctic communities and all this, this drive. We were talking a bit about this last time, this sort of contradiction potentially between state ambitions around claiming Arctic resources and then this line about conservation. And then there's the zoom out picture, which is really looking at the role of the Arctic and, you know, and the threats around, you know, melting permafrost and and the impact on on global average temperature. I mean, the Arctic is a cooling engine in, in, our, in our global environment. And th- this is a very significant thing to study when we talk about this this vessel that's going to do a, a year's worth of studying on ice patterns. And this this kind of scientific work needs to be directly linked to the decisions that governments are making.
0: Yeah. The, the thing that I always thought, I laugh about when I think about that sort of thing is, um, you know, it's... <laughs> It's the, the the attitude the attitude of so many people uh, that and uh, you know I'm assuming not most of our listeners but the attitude of many people unfortunately with lots of positions of power that you know when they see uh, say say there's a devastating uh, drought or whatever it is a windstorm in a and a forested area gets cleared and their reaction is not oh you know oh no we've lost this uh, environmental resource that we're, was providing environmental services for us has an inherent value. Blah 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 blah. Down the list of things, um, it, they just say, "Oh, great! Now we don't have to spend money to cut them down to build condos." And that's the sort of attitude that I see a lot with the Arctic. and And I wanted to come back to something Brenda just said really quickly uh, as my uh, only other comment. I think on this for the time being uh, was uh, you know was the idea of the the polar bear and the the iconic polar bear. And I was thinking about when you said that because you know for so many people, I think that was a very good visual representation i think giving people a key is good um but my cynicism also goes in the meat my, my brain is that anytime anybody and it, it, it's an argument it's not a good argument or a bad argument in the sense that um you know it's it should or shouldn't be used but i think it's a, it's a bad argument for convincing the people that are the most needing to be convinced and the reason is, is as soon as you make it about an animal it's very 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 easy for them to rationalize and say okay well yeah i don't i don't ha- i don't have a grudge against polar bears i i don't i don't think we should wipe them out just for no reason Um, but if it comes down to me having a job versus a polar bear what are you saying the polar bear is more important than me uh it makes that real easy for them and so i I always hesitate although i'm not against making those references and i think it did capture the imagination of a lot of people on a certain segment of the population i think it also was at best meaningless and at worst actually provided an excuse to to rationalize uh for another segment of the population so i don't have advice about to use or to not to use those types of images i just think that they're not they're not universally applicable and they're occasionally double-edged swords
1: So I just want to come back to this agreement again. Um, And and part of that agreement is, or the statement is, to take a science-based approach to oil and gas. And... One can really question the integrity of these kinds of statements because they sometimes contradict what's actually happening in terms of the the things that government's promoting. But I think it's really important to note that we've seen a significant victory actually transpire this week. And this is another article that's going to be posted, which is that there's actually been um, a decision taken by the Obama administration to ban Atlantic seaboard drilling. Um, this, This is a reversal of a previous position. So a lot of communities and towns mobilized against exploratory oil and gas drilling in the Atlantic. They were concerned about another spill happening. And as a result, we've seen a reversal in course, which I believe is very positive. So I think, you know, when we're, we, we, we approach these kind of statements with a lot of skepticism, but we also need to note when there's been a major achievement, which really I, I think we can say came a lot from grassroots mobilization and uh, people in communities making that personal connection to saying, you know, if there are spills like the one that's happened previously, these are going to impact communities. These are going to not only impact human beings, but also wildlife around the, the coast. Yeah, it's it's
2: interesting. Just ha- since Obama is kind of in the, coming to the end of his tenure, like, you know, how that's going to play out in terms of community resistance being successful in Canada, like to things like Energy East the Line Nine. I think in Canada we're seeing a lot of like court a lot of action in the courts as opposed to like community resistance being listened to. But I mean, I hope that's going to change. And that's the work that I do. So
0: and speaking of double edged swords, I think that's the double edged sword of Canadian, quote unquote, politeness as well. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be seen to be a disturber of the peace. I'll, you know, quietly wait for someone to sue in court and take the official channels. And, and I, I think that as I said, there's a double edged sword to that too. We're, we're a bit complacent we we don't like to cause a fuss most of the time and i think sometimes there is a good reason to cause a fuss (laughs) not that i'm advocating any specific action to be clear
1: (laughs) yeah and and one area that where a fuss is being raised on his position actually in the u.s is is this contradiction with you know the approach that he's taking to some of these other issues and his championing of the the tpp so various environmental groups have flagged this up as an apparent contradiction, and we're really looking at, um, you know, the advancing of of a trade agreement, that while it does have some environmental protections within it, and they've really, the Obama administration has really lauded it for these things, that they have, there are stronger clauses that may potentially override those environmental protections. And I just want to mention that the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives has actually released a report on this very topic, and you can also find this on our, our website, so do check that out. So there's a lot of, as has highlighted, there's a lot that's happening as Obama starts to prepare for his exit, and he wants to leave a good environmental uh, legacy. But on the other hand, um, things continue to happen which may undermine this, and, and some of this is actually coming from his own admin
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, what's interesting about this, course, is uh, w- trying to watch Obama sort of navigate the climate change, uh, the climate change file, we'll call it, uh, over his eight years. Uh, there, there's an excellent question, uh, excellent question in a conversation I saw recently on Twitter about whether or not he could have successfully passed climate change if he had prioritized it over health care. Uh, and, and and what's interesting is even you know Dave Roberts who's uh, you know one of the one of at least my favorite environmental writers in the United States believed no he thought that climate change actually would have been harder to pass than healthcare and healthcare is something that we've been trying to pass for what 20 30 40 years and the idea that that sort of climate change now it was now he actually firmly believed that it was actually more difficult to have a firm to have strong climate change uh, policy passed than healthcare passed uh, is is astounding and also shows the amount of uh, the the the, the amount of distance there still is to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Sorry,
3: if, if I can just make
1: yeah, a quick comment about Derek what Stephen said. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: it was just that I find that I, c- I can agree and disagree with that at the same time for two completely different reasons. I'll just throw those reasons out there. The reason I, the reason I disagree is because it, it is unimaginable uh, that there could, like, what more opposition could you give something? The, the Republicans in the U.S. broke every conceivable record when it came to obstructionism. So when we're talking about harder, what do you mean by that? Because I, I'm not sure more obstruction or more opposition could have been generated on any issue ever. They literally broke the record. They, they tried this to prevent Obamacare something like 60 times in the courts. Uh, like basically render it. We, okay, we lost the fight in politics, so we're going to try and make this obsolete in the courts. I think I think the previous record was something like four, yeah. and they went to something like sixty. I'm I'm guessing those numbers from yeah. memory. Uh, on the other hand, the argument could be made that well, okay, well at least with o- o- Obamacare, um, there a whole bunch of really big health corporations got the government made a law requiring people to be customers of theirs, and so at least a bunch of the healthcare companies were like, this might actually not be that bad. So that in that context, I could I could see it. So well, there's, I two
3: sides. The, well, the, the, the thing about the, the real actual issue was, was Democrats from coal states, you know, West Virginia Democrats are never you know more than happy to give you more than happy to give you health care. Will fight you to the death on, on, on climate regulation. Yeah, we could have a whole show about that oh, leave sure. it there for you now.
1: could but it, this also brings up uh, an important point which is because this uh, president is exiting everything that's been released in the statement is at risk now Obama's tried to move things through his uh, executive powers so not having to go through the houses of government and, and put in measures but he's already being called called out by some of some of the parties that be um, on those actions saying that they're outside the scope of his power again that, this is a lengthy discussion on how the American political system works. But all this is to highlight that this is tenuous at best in terms of being able to follow through on these from a, from a two-state perspective. The other thing I just want to throw in the mix um, is the foreign policy dimension. Now, we had spoken last um, last time about this case with the Honduran environmental activist, Berta um Cacheras, who had been murdered. And I, I raised the point that this the Honduran government um, had actually been supported by the U.S. government. So that adds a layer of complexity. I also want to take this opportunity to retract something I said, because I ac- accidentally, when talking about the Honduran government and, and, the, and the relationship to the U.S., I'd accidentally said Guatemala. So I apologize to the people of Guatemala and uh, for the mischaracterization of that. But this just brings me to our last story before we go to the break, which is a very, very sad story, which is to report on another Honduran activist and colleague of Berta Cacheres, um, Nelson Garcia, I believe is his name, who has also been murdered this week. He belonged to the same um, organization that she did and was advocating on the same rights and there was um, earlier in the day before he was murdered uh, there was you know a protest around uh, an, an indigenous community being displaced um, so we're seeing a very very concerning pattern happening here um, there are statistics that show that in Honduras it's one of the most risky parts of the world to be an environmental activist we've seen I think 101 people uh, die over a fairly short period so we just want I wanted to report on that follow-up story from last week.
0: All right, I think that's uh, that's about perfect time. Thank you, ma and uh, and brennan and Stefan for your comments. I'm of course your host, Darren Kester, and we're going to go to our first music break here. But just before we go to our, our today's uh, technician, uh, Alex, to find out what that music break is going to be, I'm going to just make two quick announcements. One of them was uh, to remind folks that uh, if you have uh, a comment about anything that we'd like to talk about, you are of course welcome to email us, but you can also leave a voicemail, uh, and it can be something about we talked about something and we didn't, uh, as long as it's something that has to do with the environment. Uh, and unfortunately, we had to not play a couple of people that called in because they called in just to promote their own websites and we don't do that so if you have a comment about an environment issue you would like us to talk about or something you'd like to say you can call one triple uh sorry one eight seven 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 three six three nine two one and if you're listening on radio and not a podcast you can't wind that back you can just go to greenmajority.ca contact us the second announcement before we go to that is that stefan did you know that april 22nd is earth day i did not did you know what else is on april 22nd of this year 500th episode you're darn right our 500th Hundredth episode. So uh, we don't, of course, have any money, so we're not throwing a gigantic party, but we're going to have a small shindig and enjoy a few beverages together. So if you'd like to meet the team, uh, meet the cast of the show, some previous volunteers as well. Kevin Farmer has already confirmed his attendance. For those of you that miss Kevin, you can meet him live and buy him a beer (laughs) uh, as well. So that'll be April 22nd of this year. We are uh, doing tickets, just very, very moderately priced tickets as well, just to cover some of the basic costs. Uh, But if there's anyone who would like to uh, uh, attend for which the uh, cost is is prohibitive uh i would just contact me and and let me know and we'd rather have you than not uh we will also i'm not going to do it this week because we're tight on time but uh up uh, before we get to that event i am also going to auction off a couple of those tickets as well uh so it's in toronto if you're in toronto on april 22nd uh we would love to come and meet you that would be fabulous uh so without further ado alex who's also
3: going to be there i will be there darren and I'm excited to see Kevin again, too. <laughs> um, yeah, so today we're going to hear from a band called Whoopso. They're from London, Ontario. They uh, are described as psych, post-metal, sludge, and with elements of folk. And uh, I had the privilege of playing with this band recently uh, at a show in Sarnia, and they blew my mind, so I'm going to hopefully blow everyone's mind by playing them right now. Here's Whoopso with a song called Jerry.
0: We're coming back in. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, one of our wonderful radio community partners now internationally as well as the podcast and Rabble.ca. If you're listening on the podcast, though, that's the only place to hear our bonus show, and we're going to hear from Sabina, who runs the bonus show, which is uh, not produced on air but is on the podcast version found on our site. Uh, You will be able to to hear from Sabina herself at the end of this segment, uh, preview what today's discussion will be. We actually got into a pretty lively discussion. Last week, we're trying to keep it close to about ten minutes, the bonus show because it's you know it's already an hour long show. But man, we just keep having so much to say. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's there. So if you're not sick of us during the regular show, check out the podcast as well. You hear the extended show. Uh, I'm of course your uh, your main host, Darren Kaster, and uh, Stefan is going to help me through this next session a little bit. So this was all being pulled from uh, some uh, some recent news. Most of it was from this week. I think one was like technically last week's, you know, but whatever. But just we're sort of drawing a narrative here. So I'm going to introduce a few news stories really quickly, and then we'll we're going to draw a narrative between them, because that's what we do. Hmm. So w- one of the uh, pieces, there's a pair of pieces that are coming out that came out yesterday and today from uh, National Observer, uh, Mike D'Souza, who is a longtime, excellent uh, journalist who, well, I don't believe at any time in his career was like officially the environment correspondent, uh, did work for a variety of Canadian news agencies, uh, and frequently wrote about uh, climate and environment related topics. Uh, he has since left the major corporate media and has joined the national slash vancouver observer team and we could not be more happy because now he has even more legs to run with uh on these stories and, and he's been doing some great work and he's uh you know one of those journalists that does the really hard work of sitting around and waiting for people to answer access to information requests but when he gets the back boy is there a story to tell so we're going to skim through some of this real quick uh and i'll, and I'll get to it in a minute so one of the things that mike souza pointed i uh, discovered here was that um uh, Ah, uh, there's a number of reports uh, that were being done by the NEB, the National Energy Board, which of course, is reviewing all these uh, under highly uh, uh, controversial to put it most politely and most generously, I think, uh, pipelines uh, throughout Canada. and uh, and what the, what it reveals, i'll uh, I may stick in a couple key quotes here that are pulled directly from these emails uh, as well. Uh, it, later, But just to sort of overview it for now, essentially what what the articles are outlining, and I do suggest you read them, uh, is, uh, you know, these are copies of emails, copies of text. So it's not m- sort of Mike making, you know, accusations or whatnot. These are just like, hey, we this is an email that was sent. This doesn't seem right. Was exposing an extremely cozy, like, hey, can I meet you for coffee? I want to give you a heads up about this report we're going to release, and I don't want you guys to get too upset. So let's have a coffee and talk about it. And by the way, if you'd like me to change anything in that report, just go ahead and let me know, and we'll probably do it sort of relationship <laughs> mm. yeah. i know that was a long title but <laughs> uh so we'll get into some of the details so the, and essentially so i'm gonna i'm gonna pull together a few disparate stories and then we'll talk about how they make sense in one second so let me I'll run through two more and then we'll go to you Stefan, for comment so one of the other stories that may not seem immediately related unless you're sort of on the head same headspace i am of course we talked a little bit about the ongoing flint water crisis this, this last week we had rick snyder uh in a congressional hearing uh, about the water crisis is essentially uh, himself, he's the governor of Michigan, flinging things uh, at the EPA and saying this is all the EPA's fault, who the administrator of which has a unfortunate last name of McCarthy. So we'll just try not to get distracted by that. Different McCarthy. Um but essentially, what it comes down to is he's saying, "Well, you know, and you know how Republicans love when the federal government uh, goes into states' rights issues and tells states what to do." He's essentially his excuse was, "Well, hey, you didn't override me and and tell me what to do, so it's your fault," uh, which sounds entirely consistent with your average conservative, especially American Republican right wing talking points of states' rights. Um, what what looks at, again, is that a situation where Rick Snyder gave a whole bunch of uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars in tax breaks to his corporate buddies uh, to promote business interests, quote unquote, which resulted in them having a shortfall, which resulted in them being forced to change water sources, which resulted in most of their citizens being poisoned. And then knowing about it, for sure, uh, absolutely de- demonstrated, proven he knew about it and not saying anything about it for a year. So we'll move on to one more thing, and then we'll go to Stefan for to see if Stefan know, can see where I'm going with this. There's another, again, very common story. You can probably pick uh, pick at random, day of the week, where you'll find a story at an alternative news source about this stuff, uh, which is simply reporting on things which are demonstrably and factually true. They're not claims. They're demonstrable facts. But the major networks seem to just shh. And that is, of course, you know, for tons of speeches about Bernie Sanders. We've had all sorts of moderators of the American debates between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, uh, where uh, Hillary Clinton is being asked things uh, either in interview or in debates like, what's your favorite color? Did you have a puppy when you were growing up? Uh, and then only to turn to Bernie Sanders and say, socialist, socialist, socialist. How are you not just like those genocidal uh, communist com- companies, blah, 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 you know, countries and blah, 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 blah. And just absolutely – one-sided now the thread here that i'm sure you're figuring out by now that i'm getting to is just the absolute amount of bs that happens. There's a whole bunch of corporate influence. They get influence into our politics. They get influence into the news. They get influence in how things are done. We have uh, supposed regulators in Canada uh, asking permission from TransCanada. May I publish this report, please, sir? Uh, and TransCanada coming back and say, well, if you must, but we're going to ask you for these 38 changes. That's not a number I'm making up. That's in Mike D'Souza's article. Uh, and them going back and saying, all right, well, here's 38 changes we'd like you to make to this report that removes words like rupture you know not language not not choice of words we want you to remove words that sound scary because they might make us look bad so we're going to take out words like rupture and and broke and spill and you know other technical definition words of things that happen but, of course, there's no influence here. There's no there's no, there's no, no controversy because, of course, the corporate media is here to protect us, Stefan. <laughs> and they're here to report on the news unless, of course, all of their ad revenue comes from these corporations, which are getting all of these breaks. And they sit at the same fancy dinner tables and go to the same fancy dinners and hang out at all the same fancy clubs. Would, of course, not in any way influence their opinion and in, in, uh, in what sorts of decisions they make. So, see if you can guess now, Stefan. Where am I going with this? Uh,
3: so, um, I'm going to take the slightly uh, l- the slightly more centrist uh, thought process on this, <laughs> um, which which really just has to do with sort of what I referenced last week, uh, which is the sort of idea of invisible power uh, and and the difficulty that we sort of see consistently facing uh, facing the sort of because because yeah because like what you just said. Uh, which I know, if you, if in an hour-long conversation, could uh, you you could generally so go back and and, and, and point out to uh, would sound in would it was unpalatable to probably eighty percent of the population. Uh, the idea that you know everyone sort of accepts that you know generally so like people sort of there's a level of distrust with large multinational corporations right now. Uh, but at the same time, there's 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 only some of them, and there's a, a conversation going on there as well. Um, and some extent, people also just sort of you know just want things to keep – they want to keep things as working to some, as well. Uh, but what's interesting about the – so the three examples you chose all have this sort of interesting little piece of in, what invisible power really looks like. Uh, and so to start with Michael Souza's article, um, the regulator versus regulatee uh, connection is is everywhere. It's not just oil guys. It's everywhere. And, and, and some of the most interesting things are sort of when you look at what banking regulation tries to do uh, because so often uh, you read these articles about like how the bank regulator – all of their colleagues are the people in the bank because they are sent into the bank to be the regulator but they're working in the bank and to some extent it's like, how do you how can you be an objective regulator uh, if you're working inside the bank and all of your colleagues that you see every single day are the people who are at the bank uh, in the same way that you know it's the same reason why people are you know suspicious of of, of, uh, of special investigation units and police forces because mm-hmm. the same thing uh, it's this like, uh, sorry just to interrupt, but another perfect example would be the all the unarmed black men who have been shot and then
0: the cops don't get shot. Charge because all the same prosecutors are all the same people that work every single day with all the same cops. Well, that, right, that's not the only factor, but that's one really big factor.
3: And actually, you saw that actually quite recently in the uh, two two different prosecutors actually just lost uh, just lost their jobs uh, on because they're because they're elected, uh, and two major prosecutors lost their jobs in a. I think it was st Ohio. Uh, at least one in Ohio for sure. Uh for for failing really for failing to be seen as objective in those in those kind of cases. Uh but I think it's this it's this centralized tension between regulator and regulated uh where the people who are being regulated uh because you work so connected, it's so hard to not be captured to some extent. And I think this it, – it, in one of the D'Souza articles, they mentioned they, – he mentions a famous quote uh, or a, a sort of a version of a famous quote from the 1920s, uh, which is basically that justice must not also – must not only happen. It must appear to be happening. Uh, and that really struck me because that's so – like people – the defense of the NAB would constantly just be like look it's I know you get it but, but like we have to you know we're working together we're, we're really we really care about this sort of thing but I think the importance of, of the reason why no one trusts the NB is because we don't actually trust that it's doing what it's saying it's doing right uh, and that this idea that you sort of that even if all of these coffee talks were totally normal and were totally a part of up, you know probably above board you have to pay attention to that you have to pay attention to that you have to make justice seem like it's happening or you lose public trust and the only value of government is public trust uh, which segues perfectly in the second one you, you mentioned. Yeah, so let's, let's go
0: to one of the specific uh, quotes from that piece uh, was a ref with reference to, okay, so what are we talking about? So what are they talking about at coffee? right? Well, we know a little bit about what they're talking about at coffee because we uh, Mike D'Souza, dug up some of the reply emails that were sort of like follow- ups from these discussions. And one of the things that would happen was there, as I said, there was 36 changes recommended by TransCanada to the National Energy Board, National Energy Board obse- uh, accepted all but two. Now a few of these are uh, typos, grammar- grammatical mistakes and corrected errors. Most of the changes, however, are removing embarrassing language, for instance, deleting of such words as rupture and blowdown, which is blowdown is a technical word used by technical people in the field to describe a very specific situation. These words are removed. So uh, the word rupture was removed and instead they would refer to the repair. Right. So it's kind of like saying instead of um, I got the flu and I got sick, uh, it was saying, well, I took medication a few weeks ago okay, if you want to say that's not intentionally deceitful, I guess I can't prove it but come on especially when you do it the, when almost every single change you've requested is to remove language you don't like and then you say that the reason you want it changed is because you don't like the sound of the language like they literally in the email you again read it for yourself if you want they're literally saying we're concerned about how this will make us look so can you please use different language uh, and, and I think that and I'm not sort of disagreeing with, with, with what Stefan's saying I'm just putting an emphasis on the point that this isn't just a situation of it looking bad there mm. are in fact things happening happening which to my sensibilities i would call corruption
3: hmm. um well and, and i think you can sort of see this like this, this sort of this this Difficulty of regulation uh, extends, and, and difficulty of sort of when w- with this commission extends into sort of you're, you're the Flint water crisis. To get to the second point, which is that when you get when when you have this distrust of public institutions, that's when you get the EPA not you get the EPA being in front of in front of Congress, right? Because enough people believe the EPA. Like what's fascinating with the EPA in this in the scenario is that it's that you know the right wing is going to swing it as governments are incompetent rather than a poorly funded regulator cannot regulate. Uh, and something's broken so get rid of it well exactly it's their whole thing and so it's such an interesting it's it's funny when these sort of not not funny but sort of depressing when these things happen you can see how both sides are going to swing it right Mm. Um, and and to go back to invisible power invisible power sorry uh, when you look at sort of like who got the tax breaks and then who got hurt um, there's no direct direct line this is probably as close you're going to get to as a pretty direct line It's like we gave tax breaks we could not afford it we did it but you see that everywhere with 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 sort of with conservative governments you know why does that like why are we why do we have such weak like why, why did Harper reduce so many uh, so much of our, our our environmental regulations well we can no longer afford it because he cut the GST and it's this sort of it's sort of goal of sapping of, of, of government from its power uh, by by cutting its inf- in by, by cutting its actual money into it and then that ends up Hurting people who are the most the most vulnerable, but then there's that ends of this conversation. Be like, oh, but we have to we have to let it go. We have to let it go and to ignore it. Um, And Emmy wants to jump in.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to add something to this discussion that follows on our our ongoing thread about the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement or the TPP. So there's sort of two dimensions or – well, there are many, but there are two dimensions that are particularly important. There's sort of willful corrupt practices, right? And then there's structural problems that enable corrupt practices, so one of the one of the ongoing criticisms of the TPP is in the ISDS or the investor state dispute settlement right. mechanism is that you have this secretive tribunal that's made up of adjudicators and there's the potential for many of these adjudicators to also be practicing Um, you know, investment law or corporate law with the same companies that bring their, their cases to bear through this type of mechanism. There's also an inherent interest built in for adjudicators that are paid per case or for their time on cases to want to rule in favor of these cases so that they get more business. So I'm just bringing this into this discussion because I think it also illustrates the point that both of you are making around, you know, us adopting structures that are going to allow for this kind of behavior or incentivize this kind of behavior to happen. And, you know, willful corruption is one thing. But when we, in terms of our governments, adopt structures legally that permit this, and in fact, encourage this to happen, then we need to really raise the alarm about that.
3: Yeah, I think that's the if there's a takeaway from this from this conversation. uh, I think it's that there's a there's this growing disconnect between uh between the public trust and uh and and institutions of all natures uh to, to, you know to loop in your last sort of point about 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 corporate about corporate media um you know the reason that there's a growing the reason why no one there's no there's no everyone goes on about how there's no Walter Cronkite anymore and I'm too I'm too young to actually remember Walter Cronkite but I understand that like he was the kind of person who'd go on air and just sort of what he said was like this is gospel to some extent you know he's he's bringing me the the truth and you actually can trust him inherently because that was his job he was giving you the news and I think we've now seen in in all facets you know in, in, within government within corporate with bureaucracies within within, uh, within sort of both both policy with both elected government and in uh, and in, in the, as Andy B goes in bureaucracy, this sort of lack of public trust in any of these major institutions, and I think that's what you're seeing with this sort of reaction, you know, whether it be uh, whether it be Jeremy Corbyn in 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 uh, in in the UK or or, or Sanders, and to honestly some extent Trump, um, and 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 then and also I think why the, the NDP sort of failed to garner the NDP could have run the Jeremy Corbyn type campaign in last election, and decided to to run to the center and they lost, but that's, an, that's beside the point. But I think there's this, I think what we're really seeing is this groundswell of lack of trust uh, within all of these large organizations, uh, institutions Um, and, and that is, and it's from this idea that it's not good enough to just say you're doing it people have to believe you like justice has to feel like it's happening media has to feel like it's unbiased uh and when you can see these things about like everyone knows the media is covering trump because he brings ratings um, they can't not cover him or they will literally go out of business if they don't if they cover him don't cover him and
0: cover somebody else they will not get those views right. they, 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 they literally have no choice that under the,
3: the system that we have well and that's the and that's the argument right and it's it's this yeah um, and it's, it's, it's this fascinating uh, th- difficulty between these three different uh, institutions and more, I think. And so like, if there's one thing, it's we got to find a way to bring public trust back into these institutions. Uh, and how we do that, I think, is largely by getting them to sort of realize that they have to start up. They have to up their game to some extent to prove to us, the public, that they really are uh, just and fair and not biased all right so uh
0: so we'll have to leave it there for that unfortunately we'll be back in a minute to uh, talk to fiona uh rayer who's going to talk to us about the documentary film uh fracture fractured land uh as far as a final wrap-up comment on that the the phrase from the u.s uh uh the wall of separation which is used to talk about the uh, the secular nature of the american government uh, i think there should be a wall of separation between uh the people and the government and corporations and their shareholders i think we should have each of those two groups on different sides and not corporations their shareholders and the government on one side with just the people on the other sabina's going to Tell us right now, jumping in as well, what we're going to be hearing on the bonus show today. If you are listening to the podcast, what is our topic going to be today, Sabina? Uh,
4: So today on the bonus show, I'll be talking about the effect of neonicotinoid pesticides on the different bee species, as well as the role of effective communication of scientific data in order to create new agricultural products that don't uh, destroy our environment.
0: Thank you very much, Spina. And Alex now is going to tell us what our second and final music break is going to be. Thanks,
3: Darren. Uh, so we're going to hear from a band called The Lonely Parade from Peterborough. And they're in town uh, March 18th, which happens to be tonight, uh, to playing at the Monarch Tavern in Toronto. So, yeah, this is a song called Girl by The Lonely Parade. <laughs>
0: Right, and welcome back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5. And uh, I regret to inform you that due to a severe technical error, I would like to point out that it's not ours. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, it's a, a technical error beyond our control uh, has prevented us from speaking to Fiona today. Unfortunately, we just found out. Uh, we tried for a minute there. Alex tried his best to resolve the issue. It is unresolvable. So I do apologize. So I will just let you know that on uh, March 22nd, if you're interested in seeing this film, it has already been around for a little while. But uh, everyone, uh, I think everybody in the studio but me has seen it it and they all uh, say it's absolutely fantastic uh, I was very excited to talk to Fiona but uh, we'll maybe try and get her back on, an, on another show to talk about it because uh, it, it will be around uh, and viewable if you're in the Toronto area though uh, we do suggest that you check out the Toronto Water Docks Film Festival uh, which is uh, starting uh, ooh, I didn't make a note of that date uh, so I think it's just the day before so around March 20th you can check the, the website uh, greenjourney.ca for listing on that as well and then on the 22nd at 7pm you'll be able to see Fractured Land uh, we'll post a, a link to the, the preview again and then uh, uh, apologies. Uh, unfortunately, it'd be completely beyond our control to lose that. So we've got a few minutes here, uh, which is good because we were like r- r- foaming at the mouth almost <laughs> with things to still say about that previous topic. So let me jump right back in because I actually missed one of the articles and, and I'll just throw this out in general, maybe uh, uh, if Brenna has anything to say because she's remained mostly silent for, for the middle. We'll give you right of first refusal for commenting on this. So one of the other things that I like to go because I'm apparently in an incredibly sarcastic mood today as opposed to feisty, I'm sarcastic. There's an important mm. difference.
3: they sarcastic greedies? Yes. Oh, yeah. it, it like it's sarcastic Fruit Loops? Maybe. Uh, sarcastic Fruit Loops. Sarcastic loops. Right. sarcastaloops, Loops. Circassa Loops. There
1: we go. not be so uh, corporate, guys.
3: Uh,
0: <laughs> naming brands, please. Uh, 100% organic nature's best Circassa Loops. <laughs> Made entirely of non GMO. Okay. Well, that's run its course. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, the final news item today that I was hoping to get to and then we didn't. And then now it looks like we have time for it was uh, an article also passed, posted by the National Observer. So, big shout out to them for doing some excellent journalism. Uh, was the oil and gas groups asking for federal funds? To clean up inactive wells, and the reason why I think this is important is because it comes back to the entire national conversation we keep having about renewable energy and about positions that uh, the Liberal government takes, uh, which is only a marketing difference, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, not entirely, but uh, (laughs) I'm this, as I said, sarcastic Wheaties today. um, Is is arguably not super different than the Harper's position outside of how they're branding it, which is that we need the oil sands, and hey, what can we do? Our hands are tied. You know, we're talking about an industry that. Well, what are the arguments for? Well, it's a it's a huge resource, and we can use that money to do lots of good things. Keep people employed is great, and we can use that money to invest in the environment. I don't buy it, but let's let's say that's one of the arguments for now. The other argument, of course, is that this is incredible. Well, that's so. That's one of them. Is it's incredibly profitable, and we can use this money for stuff. I will spare going into my obvious examples uh, of other things that everyone would agree are not good but could be financial beneficial <coughs> slavery. Uh, so that argument doesn't fly with me on its face just because you can derive benefit from something by harming other people or by harming a f- by harming yourself in the future. Uh, I think that's a really poor argument. Um, but the, the thing that comes back, well, you know, uh, renewables are not ready. Uh, it's too expensive. OK, well, why does oil and gas get? Billions of dollars in subsidies. Why does the public have to pay most of the costs when there's an oil spill? And finally, why should we pay oil and gas companies to clean up their own mess in the extremely rare situation where they're actually in a position where we can make them pay for it? Yeah. I did give write a first, right a first review, so if you want Stefan's rare and to go? Okay, we'll let, we'll let Stefan jump in. Okay. Uh, well,
3: it's it's uh, what I find fascinating about this is that it comes back to this one of the strong uh, one of the big arguments for for for, for Tarzan's expansion or Tarzan's investment was that they would reclaim the land. That was a big thing. It was like, look, it'll be okay because all the land will be reclaimed at the end of it. We're going to come in. We're going to do this. and We'll reclaim the land, uh, and that was that was a central part of the pitch. Uh, and, you know, and, and then, you know, I think we, we acted, like two years ago, we had a, we had a, we did a thing about how like, only a 2% of all land had been reclaimed, something like that. Um, and, and what's funny, what's, what's fascinating, what's fascinating about this now is now to our surprise, uh, they are being like, well, like we can't afford to reclaim the land. Maybe you could do that now. Uh, and it, it's, 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 it gets to a point where at some, where when you just want to like go back 10 years from now and be like, they're not going to do this. You know they're not going to do this. And to some extent, at what, point does the government all, at what point is the government sort of just kicking the can down the road and accepting that, you know what, these corporations aren't actually going to pay to reclaim land. They're not actually going to do what they're saying they're doing. But they'll make us money now and we have to get, we have to get elected in four years and that will be someone else's problem. So I did some hypothetical napkin math, Stefan. by mm-hmm. hypothetical nap- I mean the, the napkin itself
0: is hypothetical, mm-hmm. but you know the expression. Uh, so they're asking for $500 million. And I'll just do a little comparison Then I think MA is getting ready to mm-hmm. jump in here. So... What I did a little back in the napkin math here was, uh, okay, $500 million. Let's say there's a quarter million oil sands employees. I didn't research that number. I made it up. It's probably too high. It might even be a little too low. But it's not going to be – if it's off, it's too high. So let's say there's a quarter million oil sands employees. So this would be, to me, the equivalent of having a child who – you asked nicely to clean the room and they said no, and then you offer them two thousand dollars. That's the that's the comparison there, unless my math is wrong. I think Stefan's checking my math. <laughs> um, I'm just finding how people are gonna But so like says. what what possible argument could you make? And like the only the only argument you could possibly make was, hey guys, our bad by completely frontlining this industry at the behest of so others, you have made us so big in your economy that we are so big to fail that you have no choice but to support us. Through our hard times uh, because so many people will be out of work and uh, what we're saying or at least what I'm saying is exactly my point. We should never be in this situation in the first place and by the way, how many of your executive have yachts? Lots of them. So you guys go ahead and sell your yachts that you earned by strip mining our country and poisoning millions of Canadians and by kicking uh, – you, you know, cooperate, colluding with the Harper government to uh, otherwise, you know, just basically take land from people and ignore our sorts of land treaty rights and we could spend an hour listing all the things you guys have done. And how about you clean up your own damn mess out of pocket and let me see you sell your yachts before you ask us for public money to clean up your mess, M.A.?
1: I just wanted to maybe highlight the obvious point you use you use the terminology around reclaiming the land. Well, some of it's not reclaimable um, the The impacts on the environment and the impacts on human health cannot be restored, and that obviously should have been part of the calculation before this industry has been supported to move ahead as it has. However, I just want to point out another case that's happening in the U.S. We often talk about Monsanto on the show. And the city of of Portland, Oregon, has decided to actually sue Monsanto on the basis of, and this is the, the headline of the article or part of it, favoring profits over ecological and human health. So they are taking Monsanto to court for... Activities um, that they've conducted in terms of releasing PCBs uh, into the environment uh, from 1935 onwards, willfully knowing that these have a detrimental effect on on human health. So, I like to I like to highlight cases like that because it does show that cities, um, as the representatives of us. residents citizens whatever um are actually taking actions now the action has already caused damage the release of pcbs has already caused damage so we don't want to be in a position where we're trying to address that post um however it's still good that that corporations be held to account
0: yeah and well like the thing for me is that like i don't understand why the public i understand why it happens in reality i don't understand why the public is uh in agreement or at the very best lackadaisical about the fact that there are obviously two sets of rules in this country and and pretty much every country which is that people who have lots of influence and power have a different set of rules than everybody else and i'm not asking for i'm you know people will often phrase it oh the environmental you're anti-industry you're anti all sorts of nonsense completely unjustified and unbacked up claims about things that we think all we're asking is that the same rules apply you know, when we're talking about these reports that uh, uh, the NEB helped, uh, was complicit with TransCanada in editing, when was the last time that the uh, the uh, taxman asked you if you would like to comment and change any of the language in your tax uh, forms? No, we just submit information. We don't get to go and have a meeting with them and say, "Can we, I'd like to request these changes because this doesn't make me look very good. Um, you know, we don't. We don't get meetings if if you're saying well, we need to talk to these people because they're the experts. That's what I've heard people say to me before. Well, we have to do it in partnership with, with industry because they're the ones that know all the information. Fine. Same with my taxes. I submit a tax form. Here's the information you're requesting. I give it to you. Then you go away and make an informed decision with experts about how much money I owe you. But that rule doesn't apply. And I could, we could spend 10 shows going through all the different ways in which large organizations get different sets of rules. And what I'm saying is, is if you want to have your cake, you can't eat it too. You don't get to socialize the costs and privatize all the benefits, you know, which means when they have a good year, they go and all buy yachts. And when they have a bad year,
3: they send us the bill. And I'm saying screw that. Yeah. Um so to jump in uh, to to two one to Emma's point, one because I fact checked your number, uh and then yeah, we have two minutes so we're almost off the air. Uh so to to Emma's point first, uh the fast thing about PCBs is that uh you know they were you know they were they were a, a well known pesticide for quite some time. Uh and now we're using neocotinoids instead. Uh, which our bonus show is about. So let's talk about like it's like we've just solved we solved one problem just with a with a du- with a new thing we haven't proved is toxic yet, uh, even though it's banned in Europe. Uh, point two, uh, Darren. There's a hundred in 2014. There were 133,000 employees upstream, so not downstream, so up, but upstream uh, employees of uh, of the oil and gas sector. Uh, which if you then do the actual math, dividing that by 500 million, you get 3,759 uh, dollars per person to pay for these uncapped wells. Uh, so. So those are the two last points that I have uh, and a throw it to you to throw us off all right so that's all the time we have for a reminder if you'd like to come and have a beer with us or a non-alcoholic
0: beverage if you're underage or don't drink we would love to meet you just a short hangout uh, from 6 to 9 on the 22nd of April at the Center for Social Innovation annex location check the website for tickets tickets are very moderately co- uh, priced just to help us cover some of the basic costs of throwing an event and if you can't come because of the cost contact us and I will give you a code because we'd rather see you than have your six bucks so So with that, uh, we'll be right back with Sabina Hyseni, who I'm going to double check that I'm not mangling her last name in one second. Uh, And other than that, have a good Green Week, folks. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, we'll be right back for our bonus show. Thanks so much for listening to The Green Majority. Take care. Hey there, Darren here again, host of The Green Majority. Hope you enjoyed this week's program. We're trying to bring a little bit of attention, not just to finding news for you, but I've been adding to help. Add context and string an actual narrative so that people have a story that they understand and is the best way to sort of you know, just not just sort of know what's going on, but understand it in the bigger context. This is a service we provide and if you appreciate it and are able to, we would love you to support us directly so we can do a better job and get this out to more people. You can be a member for as little as one dollar a month either at greenmajority.ca and click on the how you can help button, or you can go to patron, P A T R E O N dot com slash greenmajority and sign up today. Coming up now is our Bone Show. Enjoy.
3: Uh, and welcome to the Green Majority podcast. Uh, first, I wanted to mention that uh, on April 22nd, you also can come and check out the wonderful cafe that has just opened up uh, at, at CSI's Banana, or Annex, sorry. Uh, congratulations to this whole CSI cafe team. And uh, they have a whole bunch of delicious beers, I hear, uh, as well. Uh, so I'm going to throw that out there. So if you, so you want to try, a, actually, one beer that I don't, to my knowledge, is sold almost nowhere else in Toronto uh, is is currently coming out of that those taps. So go and try that beer, which name I forget because that's how secret it is. Uh, throwing over to you, Sabina, to, uh, to kick us off.
4: Oh, thank you, Stefan. I really would like a beer right now. But <laughs> um, I think today on the bonus show, we're going to be talking about neo- um, neonicotinoids and their effect on the wildflower pollination. So I'll be referencing a study that was created. And uh, neo- neonicotinoid pesticides have had a lot of opposition due to their effect on bumblebee and bird populations. However, a new study finds that even sublethal exposure can have adverse effects on the bee nervous system. It affects their reference for certain flowers as well as their foraging success, and this is the ability of the bees to deliver the crucial pollination services to plants that are necessary for ecosystem functioning. What I find extremely interesting about this article is the fact that many companies, specifically Bayer Crop Science, which was one of the creators of Neoconoconics, Neonicotinoids has a section On the pesticide and bee health And they mentioned that the research Against pesticides is not relevant Because it's mostly done in labs Where the dosage is much higher and Than in a real ecosystem study I'd like to also mention that Bayer in 2009 made over 1 billion dollars In profit <laughs> due to their Neonicotinoid pesticide sales, Which makes them a tiny bit biased On this topic So this study that actually I'm referencing Has taken into account sublethal exposures and they mimic exactly what the bees would be exposed to in the natural environment in very, very small parts per billion. And nicotinoids are not only lethal for bees, they're also causing a decline in bird species that have an insect-based diet because it's an insecticide. And the American Bird Conservatory, based on 200 studies, has called for a ban in 2013 on the use of the nicotinoid pesticides and their toxic effect on birds, aquatic wildlife, and other wildlife. And I also just wanted to mention this wasn't done in the study, but this is kind of funny in my perspective is that ne- neonicotinoids have a very chemically sim- chemically similar composition that as nicotine. So I'm very interested to see that it's actually having a nervous system effect on bees, because I'm just thinking about all of these chain smoking bees just walking <laughs> around, and uh, you know, just wanting certain flowers that have you know, certain chemical properties that would give them that kind of buzz. I don't know if this is true, but to me it <laughs> seems like it would be because it does have the same chemical composition. Does, yeah.
3: Hmm? Buzz, yeah. <laughs> oh, Darren's Buzz. Darren just popped up just like, you made a buzz pun. Uh,
4: all right. Uh, and so um, what I wanted to raise the question or the bigger question or the bigger concern, and Darren helped me out with this earlier, is like what are the acceptable limits for people to, you know, change the environment and create profit from it, but also, you know, have... Um, not have such a environmental degradation properties or having all of these, like, adverse effects on the environment. Like, what are our limits and how far can we really go to, you know, create certain pesticides, but, you know, it's destroying, like, ecosystem health and, you know, the bee population.
2: And also, I mean, I think when you first hear about this, if you're not, like, normally... So can you share with her on that for some reason? Oh, right. And also if you're not if you're not normally concerned with ecosystem health, it's like, okay, why do I care about bees? Right. They're so small. Um, environmental Defense has done a lot of work on um, this issue. And so for instance, in 2013, Ontario's honey production actually decreased by 32%. Like that's really significant. So honey is gonna be more expensive mm-hmm. and like I really like honey, so <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, and just the amount of like, – pollinators are just so important. Like to some extent, there's I, I, there's all these interesting studies. What's fascinating about bee people is if you're a bee person, you're really into bees. There's like – it's it's like there are people who are super, super into bees and everyone else who does not care. Uh, but if you like bees, you're just crazily into bees, uh, which is great because we need some people who are passionate about this thing because pollinators are just are, – are, are so important. You go back to – like there's been studies. I think it's like – it's in the billions of dollars of, 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 uh, of ecosystem services. Services that, that pollinators, especially these bees, provide, uh, and the sort of collapses that we're sort of seeing, which is why we, we lost 30% of, uh, in, in, uh, in Ontario, are because of these, these is, is this, uh, it's a specific term for it, which perhaps in this article perhaps not, uh, but about the sort of, uh, it's like, it's like called colony collapse, basically, mm-hmm. uh, in which sort of the uh, totally functioning bee hive and they all go in exactly the same description, they all just don't come back. And they all, just, they all just randomly go off. They're all confused, and they all and they come back, and that sort of destruction is is massive. Um, but just to, to answer your question to some extent, I'm going to do the Environment 101 bit, which is sort of like the, well, then we have to understand how the difference between the, how Europe and, and, uh, and, and the United States and Canada and North America regulate, right? Mm-hmm. Europe takes a precautionary approach, which is basically you have to prove that it's not harmful, and we take a reactive approach to prove that basically you have to prove that it is harmful. Uh, and that... Uh, and that and that balance back and forth is the is a sort of central tension that we see everywhere.
4: Yeah and exactly to to that point is that every everybody is advocating for a science-based approach and the precautionary approach is the science-based approach. The reaction the reactive approach is just let's try to mitigate the the problems that we've already caused. I also just wanted to talk about the fact that this is not only affecting like the bee population it's also very toxic to to farmers and to people that you know are have like these harmful pesticides sold to them. A friend of mine who was working for a long time as and agri business. Uh, person, she was telling me that they would sell these harmful pesticides to rural farmer, farmers in developing countries, where they pretty much had nothing, and they were sold over and over again. That this is the highest grade. This will like continue to make your crops the best. And they, it started to bring these uh, health issues to the farmers because they were so like low grade and they weren't really really good. And the the problem with this is as well, like even just in the past year, there has been like six thousand or more farmer suicides because they, because of climate change, pesticides, like pretty much everything all rolled into one, which is kind of a social aspect of this uh, problem as well.
0: All right. So I wanted to jump in. I had a quick comment on on that as well, and then I'm going to warn Brenna because I'm going to actually redirect back to her because there's something in the show that I wanted to come back to that you said and I want to I want to reframe about that in that context. So my quick comment first was, uh, this, this is, you know, in the larger question that you asked me you know, as far as like, you know, this as a keystone or as an indicator for, you know, a larger discussion about how do we decide, you know, we have to have some sort of rules about it because we d- it's not just out of, it's not just, I say, because it is valid to say that, you know, it's immoral to harm other life and we can have a discussion about what that means and where that line goes, you know, blah, blah, blah. But in addition to that, I mean, we rely on these systems, right? So there's there's harm to us by causing harm to nature, and that's something that's so often missed. Um, so I I don't pretend to know, and this is the, anyone that's a longtime listener of the show knows that it's very very rare for me not to have a strong opinion about something. Uh, I don't I I don't claim to have a strong opinion about where to draw that line. I do have a strong opinion about how to decide what it is, though, uh, and it's because I think harm is quantifiable, and I think. Uh, that, you know, despite the fact that I don't know where that line should be, I do think that we that there is a system by which we can come up with an objective and based on reality and non arbitrary line and that we should let science dictate where that is because harm is demonstrable and the best people for at coming up with that. Are scientists, And so that we shouldn't be using our personal judgments on this. Uh, aside from the fact of saying that, you know, science can't come up with the rubric of, you know, where should the line be, but they can help us decide where the line is by telling us, okay, the risks of this is here, the risks of this is here, what sort of risk are we willing to accept? Uh, and with a full knowledge of what the repercussions of all of that risk is. So, for instance, as a really quick example, when it comes to GMOs, uh, many big names have come out and said, okay, everyone's getting way too excited about GMOs. Uh, some heroes of mine, some people I, I idolize, I've been very shocked to hear are, are on other sides of this issue for me. And people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and Bill Nye the Science Guy have come out. Uh, now, there's some question around them receiving some money. I'm not calling them corrupt. I'm just saying it's a, confu- it's a confusing issue. But at the uh, – sorry, not Neil deGrasse Tyson, but, but Bill Nye uh, did do some consult- consulting consulting mm. for them. But I, I know, Brennan's it's really whimpering. I'm sad. Uh, but, but where I, where I think it matters, here's why I think they're wrong. I have a reason why I think they're wrong. And the reason mm-hmm. why I think they're wrong is that when we come up with the risk of something, we should say, what is the worst-case scenario? There's two questions you ask. What is the worst-case scenario? What is the upper limit to the danger? And what is the chance of us, of us hitting that? And the thing with is the chance of us hitting... I will admit, I don't have perfect information here, but I think that what a lot of people are saying, well, a lot of these smart people that are really, really smart and know, generally speaking, what they're talking about, decides, despite the fact that you know Bill Nye is not an expert on these particular issues and, and Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astronomer and a physicist <coughs> and isn't necessarily a biological expert, and therefore I don't really care what their opinions are on these things because this is not their field of expertise. Uh, but it's, the fact is not, is it likely going to be fine... It's like it's like a Russian roulette thing. Okay, well I don't care how many chambers there are. The amount of cham- empty chambers doesn't matter. Does any of them contain a bullet? Yes. Okay, well that's the thing I care about. Not with the not how many empty chambers there are is it's the are there any full chambers? And I think when we're talking about something where the upper limit is death or in this case the upper limit being potentially irrecoverably screwing up the entire system of life on this planet by introducing a runaway effect. Like when they tried that whole thing about in Australia, when they like tried to release this to catch that. And then that got out of hand. Um, One of those problems where we might unleash something, a Pandora's box that we can't put back in the box. That to me is, is equivalent to an unacceptable level of risk, no matter how, how high the chances of getting it are, and and I would say that even even the advocates can will admit that we have no idea of assessing how likelihood that, that is they assume it 's low, they insist it 's slow, but but there 's no real way to come up with that, and that 's my objection to it. So the redirect now to Brenna is about uh, the idea you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, because uh, I know that you've uh, primarily a lot of your experience and a lot of the stuff you've been doing recently, Brenna, has been with regards to Aboriginal and First Nations issues. And you've you've been to a lot of events. And it's something that I know that it's a, of keen interest to you and you're particularly sensitive to. So when you mentioned on the show earlier, I I almost jumped in and then I didn't because I, I promised that I'd keep my mouth shut for the first part was you referenced the thing about the hunting seals. Right. And we're we, without the flow. Uh, without the ice, you know, they won't be able to hunt seals. And in my head, I was like, well, watch out. There's going to be a whole bunch of people that should mm-hmm. say you shouldn't do that anyway. So with regard, I mean, that's another way of looking at the same sort of question about, you know, at what point at what point and where do we come up with this? So maybe from the eye of like cultural practices, where if it was just indigenous people or just Aboriginal people who were doing this action to sustain themselves as part of a cultural practice and as something they needed to survive, then it would be cool. But if it's them plus all this other stuff, You know, so and then people try and say, okay, well, we shouldn't do it at all. And that's obviously not right. So uh, just you don't have to give me a firm answer on it, but maybe within that context.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about like commercial clubbing of seals. (laughs) I'm talking about the fact that Inuit communities who live along a coast, like my experience with the the Arctic has been and Baffin Island into it. And communities that literally rely to survive on seals who have sustainable practices that are completely undermined by our entirely unsustainable practices. So I just look at, you know, people who live in southern regions who are saying we should not be hunting seals as, frankly, not just culturally insensitive, but like it's racist. It's, um, you know... uh, What's the word? Um, Sorry. It's like, uh, okay, it's fine. Um, But yeah, it's, it's racist. I think I see it as racist. And, um, and I mean, people like hunters are going through the ice because they can't hunt. Seals are no longer able to like come up for air when they need to come up for air because of climate change. Like that is resulting in the high food prices that we're seeing in Northern stores, like which have garnered a lot of mainstream media attention. So like, If it's not your reality, it's you're not in any place to to judge uh, like sustainable practices for that have been going on for thousands of years. So I don't know. Like, I appreciate. Yeah, Darren, it's like good to have um, like clarified that a little bit. But yeah. Uh,
4: Yes, exactly. I completely agree with that. There's also the same issue with whaling. You know, a Japanese culture has said that they're they are allowed to whale because of research reasons. But how much research do you really need to do on whales? Like, with the amount of whales that they hunt, and there's uh, Aboriginal communities which rely on whaling for pretty much everything, and it's super sustainable. But when you take in into consideration, like, do you want to ban it all? Completely, and I think this comes into that whole perspective of like same but differentiate, re, differentiated responsibilities. Like we all like want these systems to stay to stay sustainable. However, we also ta- should take into account that for certain cultures, this has been like a very sustainable practice for hundreds of years, and and we should really like be sensitive to those to those issues. And one last thing that I really wanted to talk about was the fact that we were saying uh, Darren was saying that where do we really draw that line? I think that science can really come up with. For example, some ecological modeling. It's been done and it can be done. However, the problem is that it goes back to the point that Emma was talking about earlier about favoring profits over ecological and human health. It's not like these companies can't do research. I mean, this research can be possible. Just give somebody a grant and he'll do it, but he or she will do it, but the... The problem is is that this is so profitable it's such it's such profitable business that people then sometimes try to not look at the science or try to you know skew the science in their favor and then that's where the issue comes in.
3: Yeah, um you on.
2: So I was just going to like take a uh, one second to k- say that this just reminded me of like the Cowspiracy documentary oh, yeah. with, like <laughs> extremely like preachy vegans. Like, obviously, no one wants extreme emissions from, like, agribusiness, but, yeah, it's not everyone is is in a situation culturally or financially or geographically to be able to, like, be vegan and, like, nor do we want to, so...
3: Yeah, right. I think so. Hey, uh, we probably just a massive firestorm nest with any v. Ve- <laughs> like I'll be like, we should, we could do an entire show on on this. Fa- I find it fascinating debate between veganism and sort of <laughs>
2: maybe sort I of shouldn't have said that. No, 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 no. It's,
3: it's I like like it's something we've we've t- we've touched on before, and it's been. It, I think it's so interesting, and, and to, honestly, I I am with you on everything you've said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's such a it's such a fascinating because it comes down to this sort of. Honestly, comes down to a, a central understanding difference of how you want to mm-hmm. view. Uh, so much. And I think it's what I like about that conversation, which we cannot have in this one show, obviously because we're running out of time, but we will have in the future, especially if a bunch of people get mad at us. So if you want to hear us talk about this more, get mad at us.
2: Maybe I'm going to um, have to defend myself now. I'll have well, to
3: do a show. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's such an interesting conversation because it, it, I think this is the one time where, 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 where very commonly where or you can call us, as Darren's pointed out, at 1-877-736-3921. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. I, I said it right, but it was terribly worded. So <laughs> Just also go to greenmajority.ca slash contact us, and you'll find us. Uh, So, I'm going to, with your permission, I'm going to sort of wrap up the show. Amazing. Um, With, like, yeah, there's so much there. Uh, there's so much there, and it's so interesting. I think in part because it does come back to this central question of where do we draw the line, and and also how do we understand the world around us? You know, because if environmentalists so commonly say what we have to do is uh, we have to get, advance the rights of of of, of living things as uh, to you know we advance the rights, and then we come to this one issue, and suddenly and suddenly it's like it requires sort of a pulling back of what, where we think humanity stands in the world. I think. Um, and, I th- and 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 in that, if we are understanding that so we have to treat all animals, all everything, all world, all wildlife like like humans, say, which I think is really the main push for veganism, is that you know, harming any animal is, is inherently immoral, and that's why they take that sort of hardline stance. But I, I think the, the conversation that's the central tension there. Uh, and it's just it's, it's massive and I would love to talk about it I could talk about it forever uh, but Darren wants to wrap it up so there, Darren
0: no I just I want to I want to say something more controversial than what Brenna said just oh, God, to take some heat off her no no and I'm, then I'm going to mic drop and walk away so, so we, we may not know what all the right factors are but we know what it isn't and the, the number one and overriding factor is not profit and you know how I know that because if you do think that profit is the one number one and overriding factor congratulations you've just justified slavery that's it have a good week folks see everybody real soon we